0: What's up, everybody? My name is Patrick Jones, and on this week's episode, we have Caleb Longley. Caleb is currently the hitting coach at the University of Texas. Before that, he was at Arizona State University, so he's been at some big-time programs, gives everybody some great insight into what they do there from a development standpoint, what he's looking for from a a recruiting aspect. And lastly, Caleb has his own business that he does on the side. It's called Marv Training, great products that help a lot of hitters and pitchers out there. So hope you enjoy this one. Make sure to subscribe. All right, Caleb, appreciate you coming on the show today, man. I think it's been about a year since I I saw you. I saw you last in, what was it, Tennessee, I think, last year, speaking at the um, convention that we were at together, connecting the dots which was uh, by TJ Wharton, who does a gr- he's a great, great dude. Did a great job at that. And but how have you been, man? What's new in your life,
1: man? <laughs> Glad to be on here. First off, but just been busy. Been uh been busy as can be. We came back from Omaha in the spring. Got straight off the plane. Um, started working on this year's team. Went into recruiting. We got the portal now. You got NIL. There's a lot of different factors that go into it had to put together a 25 class um, this summer that actually turned out really well. But between recruiting and coaching and this fall, it's, it's just been crazy. And on top of that, I run the, the business, as you know, Marv Training. So it, all my off time um, has been devoted to that. So I haven't been getting much sleep, but I wouldn't like it any other way, you know.
0: How, how do you structure all that so you can you make sure you get everything you need to get in, obviously, as a college coach? Which I mean, that could be eighty hours a week in and of itself, but you also do the MARV training on the business side too. Um, yeah, so all
1: my pack and ship is fulfilled. I don't do any of that. I do. I don't do as much with MARV as I should. Of course, the players in Texas and all that comes first. Um, whenever I get an hour here or there to sit down and go over some stuff or look at new products or anything like that. That's normally either really early in the morning or really late at night hours. I probably should be in bed sleeping, but that's part of it. Right.
0: What was uh, your first year at Texas? Like last year. So last year was your first year at Texas. And what was, what was your title?
1: I was the uh, director of hitting development. So okay. Troy Tulowitzki brought me in. Um, one of my closest friends, I look at him really as like a mentor, just, I mean, a guy with a wealth of knowledge, not only did he do it at a high level, he can teach it and he can relay the information at a high level. Um, Tulo brought me in. Um, fortunately came into an old team offensively and some guys that had a ton of at-bats. Um, but i tell you what, those guys were still looking to get 1% better and the guys were so open to learn and to work. And it was just, it's such a, a great environment that him and Coach Pierce have built um, at Texas of just guys getting the work in. um, And then just the competitive atmosphere would be the other thing. The two things is the work and the the compete is what we always talk about. And just being able to learn from those coaches and the players and watch how the guys go through um, their everyday work was – Something that um, something that was great, and of course the season we were number one in the country forever. Um, then we had a big dip in the season, and then uh, ended up finishing in Omaha. Set school records offensively in just about every category in my first year. We broke the homer record by fifty, I think. So, like,
0: I think it was one hundred eighteen or one hundred twenty-five,
1: one hundred twenty-eight homers. One hundred twenty-eight so.
0: homers. That's what it was. Okay.
1: The previous record, I think, was eighty-one. So it, it's so, something like that, but all across the board, um, seven offensive guys got drafted. So I mean, he, you really can't put a price on that, and the relationships with all those guys that was that was built. It was it was a special year.
0: What's something that you learned from last year that you that you're taking into this year, or you've already taken into this year in terms of just working with the guys in the fall and implementing different things? Like, what's something different you're doing this year now that you got a whole year under your belt? I would say
1: this year, um, the main difference practice wise would be a little bit more higher velo, um, a little bit more game like BP setup just because the guys this year don't have quite a, as many at-bats um, as we had returning last year. We've got a brand-new offense this year. So exposing these guys to the velo that we're going to see or the breaking pitches that we're going to see um, has has been the main difference. But the big takeaways from last year to this year, um, just learning so much from Tulo, whether it's the mental game, the work and the preparation that goes into – not only practice and swing and game plan and all that, I love all that stuff, but just the, the mental side of it, how to talk to the players, how to communicate. And it's, it was, I can't say enough about how lucky I was and fortunate to be able to work with him hand in hand every day.
0: What's something on the mental side of the game that, that you learned from him that you were just like, dang, I never even thought of that.
1: Well, the mental side's huge. Um, I think as a player, I probably took it for granted. I probably didn't devote enough time to it. Um, I don't want to go into all the specifics and all the secrets we have, but we, oh, we, come devote, on. <laughs> we devote a ton of time before every game to the middle yeah. game. Visualization, there, there's a ton of different things, and a, a ton of different ways to do it. And Does all that stuff work for everybody? No. But I think there's a piece that everybody can take from the mental game and apply it that they need. Um, on so what day about day, you, yeah, there's basically.
0: there's there's high school coaches out there listening. They want to help their programs this upcoming year. What's something that you feel like that, you know, maybe not, maybe you learned last year, maybe just you've learned since you've been in college coaching in general, that, that you could give to them, that that would help them out implementing this year with their team.
1: I think at the end of the day, we get so caught up in the work. We get so caught up in, whether it's the mechanics or this drill and um, the atmosphere, the game. It, we sometimes forget it's a one-on-one battle when we're in the box or even for pitchers. It's a one-on-one battle, and you you got to compete against the guy across from you. And then it's, it's relatively simple as that sounds. Sometimes we get lost in that. We do all this work for the swing and all this, and then we get in the game, and that pretty much goes out the window. And that's thats how it's got to be, you know. But that's, that's why – all the work has to be done and all these practice plans and all the in-depth routine building and all that needs to be done. So when you step out there, you don't have any thoughts. It's, it's how am I going to beat this guy across from me? And that's a
0: great point. We lose sight of that. It's, it's very easy to lose sight of that because there's, you know, you got coaches saying maybe something to you and you're, you're worried about maybe not not getting to play the next game if you don't get a hit this game. And it's like you're not even really present in the box because you're thinking about everything else going on around you.
1: Correct. And and it doesn't even it's not even it doesn't even start when you're walking up from the on deck circle. It starts when you get off the bus. Um, you're yeah. already playing that game there. You're already setting the tone, whether it's your body language, um, you're, you're setting that tone from the, straight out the gate.
0: So body, body language, maybe visualization, too, like those would be the the two big things that that you think that that stood out that have that you've seen help players on the mental side more than anything.
1: and then I think at our level, too, I think there's just a time to relax, a time to breathe. Um, we can get caught up, you know, eight, ten thousand fans screaming at you and all these people trolling you on Twitter if you strike out, so sometimes it's good for these guys to just have a breath, you know, and to take a second on game day because there's so much that's going on um, from the moment they walk in on a game day to the actual start of the game that I think sometimes we lose lose sight in the fact that sometimes it's good just to take a minute to relax and to calm down.
0: So do you mean – Set aside time for the players to to actually kind of have nothing going on before the game, like five ten minutes, so they can just get their own thoughts together. Is that what you mean?
1: One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Whether they're laying there, whether they're in their locker, however you want to set it up, a time to whether it's reflect, visualize, or just kind of do nothing for a little bit, and just uh just to ground back down and come back down and to focus and it's different for everybody but a a lot of guys put a lot of pressure on themselves at our level and however we can take a little bit of pressure off those guys um is always what's important
0: it's yeah you know it's funny because i when i was with the orioles there was a guy near that guy named alan mills he pitched in the big leagues for for a long time he's pitching coach and an incredible guy and that's one of the things i remember he said one time that really stood out to me that i remember he's like we have all these things going on from the time the players get here until the second they go out for the game. And it's all structured. But yet like we have to set aside time for them to get ready however they need to get ready. Like we, you have to you have to do that. And I It was the first time I really ever heard anybody say that. But to hear you say that, too, I think it's it's a valid point, right, where we want everything so structured as coaches and players doing X, Y and Z at all times and no dead time. And it's like, eh, actually, like, having some of that time, whether you have nothing going on, can, can help help players just, like you said, relax, right, or breathe and just kind of be in the moment. I think it's a great point.
1: Right. right. And I, I think one of the main things, whether you're in the box or playing defense, is you want to slow the game down as much as possible. You don't want the game to speed up on you by any means. Um, how, how easy and effortless can you play the game? And I, I think that's the start of it. Um, how you decompress before the game and are able to let your natural ability come out and not force things. I, I think that's such an important part.
0: What's something that you learned? I mean, it's, you know, it's got, how many, I mean, how cool is it that you, you got to be around a, you know, an, an all-star I like whiskey just on a practice, you know, day to day. And I think remember last year, you told me that he would practice with you guys. Is that right?
1: Yeah, no, he's, he's always, he was always in the cage and, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say it, but then a lot of guys are visual learners and have a guy you can step in and say, you know, try this or do it like he's doing it right here. You see the difference between what he's doing and what you're doing. And then from that standpoint and just the standpoint of how he worked, how he would go through his routine. And a lot, a lot of guys like to um, rush through what they do and they don't take enough time not only um, in the routines, but in between pitches. And then how they work, the effort level of how it's different. It's not a game swing, whether it's a flip or whatever. You, you build up to that. And the process, um, you go through hitting every time. It's just was so good to have him there as an example. And um, to have him now just a phone call or text message away, always still 100%. The guy loves baseball – more than anybody i've ever met um i'm sure he'll hear this podcast because he's always locked in on this stuff but he uh just just to have him a call there, text away has been so important for me this fall
0: i think it's it's so cool to have to see big leaguers like that just really give back right and, and go and coach kind of like what he did last year because it's rare for one and there's so much value to be able to to have someone like that a- around and pick their brain. And, and I love, I know that we're kind of, we've been in the era of analytics where it seems like some of those guys who have experience have been pushed away, but I want to bring them closer. Right. Because I never played in the big leagues. I never was an MLB all-star. I never, you know, did a lot of those things. So it's like, man, if I can ask what it was like, or what'd you do in this situation, or how'd you, how'd you w- work your way out of a, you know, a funk here or there. I mean, that's, you, you can't Google that information. So I'm jealous. You got to experience that.
1: I don't know. It was. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, it was so important for me. Like there was, there was a time last summer where after um, the staff got let go at Arizona State, it was I was kind of in between. Had some different options. Was looking at some things, some smaller jobs I thought were going to come through, and they just didn't quite come through. And then he uh, he reached out and was able to bring me on at Texas. And I've been so fortunate that it worked out the way it did because I, I don't know exactly where I would be or how I – it's just I'll, I learned so much. It's hard to even put it in words.
0: So you, you've been at – you're at Texas now. Before, you were at Arizona State when when Spencer Torkelson was there. I mean, you've been around some of the best hitters in, in college baseball. What, what is – what's the biggest difference between the best of the best at the college level – and everybody else outside of the obvious, I get it. You got to have bat speed and exit velocity and all that, but there's a lot of guys who have that.
1: Um. Well, I, you know, looking at it from a, a lens of I was a mid-major player and then lucky enough to be um, at two of the most historic programs where getting players isn't the hardest thing in the world to do. Uh, I would say just from an overall team standpoint, I would say complete players, guys that, not only can hit, but also can play on the other side of the ball and defend a little bit. Um, and not that there's not complete players at the mid major level, but oftentimes, and I, and I was one of them. So I'm allowed to say it. You'll have that left field banger that, you know, could hit in the middle of the order for anybody in the country. But if you hit a ball to him and left, you, you hold your breath every time, you know? <laughs> so, and, and I and what, we see it all the time recruiting and at camps and stuff like, wow, that guy could hit in the middle of our order. And then you see him on the other side of the ball and ah, not for us, or it could be opposite. A guy that can really pick it at shortstop. And you think, I hope this guy can hit. Cause I'd love to have him. You see it. You see the swing and the hit tools not quite there, but just a, a more complete player guys that can do it on both sides. And then what separates the Torkelsons and then, the Ivan Melendez year last year won every award in college baseball. Just to watch that, to watch both those guys work on a day-in, day-out basis. I mean, we could go in on the, how good their swings were, um, how similar their swings were. Uh, but the the thing that they both had in common was just relentless competitors, the, the work ethic off the chart, whether it was four for four, over for four, they were in the cage um, the next day, same routine, always uh, always wanting success for their teammates too that's 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 another quality that all these really good players have. Um, both those guys were not about themselves. it was it was always a team aspect and they were always just so fired up for the success of others
0: when when you say relentless competitor, are you referring to just in everything that they do, competing, practice, game, ping pong, just everything?
1: hundred percent. Yeah, everything, um, whatever it was. And then back to what we talked about in the beginning of understanding the one-on-one battle, you know, we, like I said, sometimes we get caught up in all the things that are going on and we lose sight of that one-on-one battle and whether it's in a lopsided game an at-bat in the eighth or mm-hmm. um, Great point, or a tie game in the ninth. The ability to be locked in like that for every at-bat is very important, especially over the course. If you're really trying to put up numbers um, over the course of a season, I, I see a lot of guys throw at-bats away like that cause whether for whatever reason they can't stay locked in and those lopsided at-bats or, um, or it could be the step further, the tie game in the ninth when they come up, it's not the same guy that can come up you know, and that's goes right back into the middle game. How can you be able to slow yourself down enough to wherever you step out in those big situations? You know you're going to have success because you're going to be the same guy. You're going to give yourself the same chance you had if the bat didn't matter versus 100% game on line, all the pressure. How can you slow it down like that every time?
0: Dude, I'm I'm so happy you said that. I, I tell you what, I don't know if I've ever had anybody on the podcast – Say that before, like that. That what you just said about not giving a bats away in a lopsided game, and how those those giving those a bats away when they don't really matter, how that affects your numbers over the course of an entire season, it's a hundred percent true. And I really don't hear anybody talk about it very much. I mean, heck, like I said, I've never. I don't know if I ever had anybody on the podcast say that either. I think that's phenomenal advice and that goes back to what really separates the players. It's, it is like, of course, you got to have some good mechanics and things like that, but it goes back to just competing and not giving away those at bats on those lopsided games, or if it is a close game, not, you know, not being scared or afraid of the moment. I'm, I'm really happy you brought that up because that's just a hundred percent sure. I see all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's so important. And then of course, you know, with Melendez and Torkelson, you had just the the eighty power out of both those guys. So, and, you know, that doesn't hurt as a uh, as a coach to watch that and uh, and to start with. So, both those guys just watching their BPS is just a joy. You know, day oh, in and
0: day out. I bet it's a ton of fun when you're when you're scouting or recruiting. Whatever you you know, I guess for me, I, I like to look at it as scouting. I guess recruiting is like when you're actually trying to recruit him to come to your school. But when you're just watching players and hitters more specifically from high at when they're in high school, what what are you looking for? I mean, are you, does it need to be somebody who who can hit the ball out of the ballpark for for you to to say yes on or is does it is it one of those that just depends on a lot of different factors?
1: Not really. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say bat speed because I, I think that gets overused and misunderstood Uh, i know there's a lot of guys in the big leagues with a slower bat speed than guys in high school that aren't getting recruited so like i don't like to say bat speed i think that's the term that gets lumped in like for quickness um how quick guys can be to the ball of course you want guys that can stay in the zone a long time but for me it's it's how easy can you do it on a pitch to pitch basis. Like you want guys where it, it looks effortless. You want an athletic mover. Um, you know, I don't love guys that are built in labs and I'm a much of a swing guys. Anybody in the country might be the biggest swing guy in the country, but you want your guys to be athletic. You want them to have a little personality in their swing. You can see when guys are robotic in the box, um, that, that comes through a lot, but, and also, guys need to put up numbers. Guys need to get hits. There's, there's some value to guys that just get hits. I've seen a lot of guys with some ugly swings just get hits, you know. And then whether you pull the trigger on that guy, knowing you're like, hey, if we can fix this swing a little bit, then he can be really good, you know. And a, a lot of those guys, that's the only way they get to school. Um, if they're really good, but there's a couple swing things you see in there, so if you could get that guy, you know he's getting hits, but the swing just quite wasn't good enough for him to be a first-rounder or whatever, that's a guy that if they can make some easy adjustments, they could really blossom and turn into a really hot pick in the draft. So so there's a, several different aspects. I would love to say, you know, um, we want guys with a perfect swing, but there's just so many different factors that go into it.
0: What are some of the common flaws that you see in a swing from a high school kid's standpoint?
1: you think of the right terminology to say this, um, I'll say it a few different ways. Guys that turn too much, guys that over rotate guys that use too much body. It's the main thing guy. And I don't know if it's growing up in a generation where it's every swings measured or whatever it is, where you're always trying to drive the ball. I'm all about driving the ball, but how can we do it with quickness? Um, And I think a lot of people lose quickness because whether you want to call it pulling off, like there's, there's so many different ways to say it, but I would say it's, it's just when guys rotate too much is how I would put it. And then out of order. So the body goes and the bat drags a little bit. See that all the time. And then let's see. um, I've got one other one for you. Oh yeah. Another good one is, is when guys, when guys heads, get out in front of their lead leg that's that's a that's a new one that I'm seeing back I know when I was coming up and I'm only 27 so it wasn't too long ago but um when I was coming up it was more of like guys were back and would spin off the ball now you see guys getting forward but their heads getting over their front side and then the whole front side has to make the move so when guys heads are so far forward it's I mean, towards the pitcher, the decision swing window shortens. You've got to make your decision ten feet. Now you take your head back, you can see the ball longer. Your contact point is still out in front, but out in front is relative to to where the guy's head and alignment is. I think that's one thing. Guys out in front is too far out in front because of where they go. They almost want to go get everything. Which is something i have kind
0: of like when they're like what would some people consider that to be lunging at the ball?
1: I wouldn't say lunging. Um, not necessarily like heavy on the front foot because okay. guys could still be light on the front foot and still have their head um, over the front leg. Okay. There's like some, there's some good videos too of like Tony Gwynn talking about how you want your head like centered or over that back leg. Right. Um, and then you heard the old school, the pull hose, the Chipper Jones, the Ortiz, like you want to – it feels like it still rods from your head all the way down through your hip, back knee, and back foot, where their heads back like this. Now we can see the ball deeper. We can still catch it out front, but we get to, but we get more time to make a swing decision. So we don't chase that slider, you know, down in a way that, that gets so many of us. Um, and it's I see guys too often whether it's a front side move or just that head getting out in front, and it just kills their timing. I mean, we're, we're always fighting time as hitters. And when that head's so far out in front, it just – it kills that timing.
0: What are what are some of the things that you've seen help hitters who have had that issue?
1: I would think it's kind of like sometimes when you get that, you, you need guys to get a more – what do you want to call The old-school approach. Um, normally it's taking the effort level down in B.P., A lot of those guys you want to – that might be the guys, instead of having them hit homers to the poolside gap, they might take a round of line drives to the opposite infielder. That normally lets the ball get farther back, and they kind of learn that contact point. Um, Getting them to slow down, making their swings easier instead of hard and rushed. Um, There's several different ways. Always when making a swing change, it's having the guy feel it for me and then there's several different tricks with uh, the alignment and everything a a lot of guys get the shoulders going so far downhill that it forces them to be in that position here where they've got a then you get that length and the swing in the back Um, so there's there's so many different resources and stuff for that one and I like. I don't have I wish I had a, a trick that would work for everybody but I just I like to keep a bag of them and I um, like to think I'm a good guesser, you know, and if, if one guess doesn't work, then just move on to the next one.
0: How much, how much time do you are you able to, to spend with, with each hitter when they get to you in the fall?
1: Not as much as people probably think. Um, we have four hours of individual time for a few weeks, and then that's broken up. Um, we try to space that out in the beginning as much as possible get guys' routines down um, a lot of small groups in that time so a lot of one-on-one time and then we get into our 20 hour work weeks and then that's a lot of that time is eating eaten up by gameplay and then with gameplay comes BP before the game and so it's and you're also splitting that time with with the weight room so, I like to think those first couple weeks of um, building that trust with the guys and starting to build those routines, if you can get that down, which I'm so proud of our guys this fall, got that down early and got those routines locked in. it set them up for success and where they can coach themselves and coach each other throughout the rest of the fall when I'm not allowed to be in the cage with them.
0: Yeah, because you're the hitting coach there now, right? I am. I mean, what's that like, being hitting coach at University of Texas?
1: Uh, you know it's it's uh it's a blessing just just honored it's there's a lot of time that that I've put in um that a lot of people don't see and I am young but there's just there's so many hours that I've studied swings and the main thing is I've been around two great ones you know and Michael Early and Troy Tulowitzki and just applying several things from both those guys and um a little bit from my dad and there's just a lot of different factors that come in and a lot of work and I just can't express how lucky I am and how blessed I am to be the hitting guy at the University of Texas at you know the age of 27.
0: What advice would you give to a a a coach who who aspires to to have a position that you have right now? Um,
1: A lot of luck goes into it don't get me wrong but in order to create that luck, you have to put the work in. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of hours studying video, filling things yourself with the swing, getting in there, um, doing the drills yourself. Uh, you know, I was lucky I was able to start this journey. You could say while I was still playing my last year. So I learned a lot of things very quick by trial and error. And then just applying that and working with a ton of guys, whether it was in lessons and high school guys and teammates and just all these different types of people, whether it's little kids, like I love working with Troy's son all the time. He's a he's a great player, gonna be an all-star himself one day. But just I can learn a lot by working with him and just like learning how the body works and what cues work for certain guys, what drills work, whether it's a seven year old or a 17 year old, is as much work as you can get in and just once you not that I have anything figured out by any means, but once you work with a, a lot of guys, then you have something to go back to and reference. Okay, this this guy kind of reminds me of a lot of this. Or you've watched a ton of video, and you see a guy doing something that maybe, say, a, a lot of people would say is wrong. But you've seen Ronald Acuna and Pete Alonzo do it, so you know that can play. You know, So it's just a lot of work. Um, Craig Hyatt <laughs> on Twitter. I would say you got to if you're trying to be a hitting guy and want to learn the swing a little bit, you got to follow Craig, right? I mean, just the every day of getting a good, refreshing view of a side view or back view or whatever from a guy, um, and just getting in with the right people and being able to learn. I learned a lot from Doug Latta, good friend of mine, um, and s- several different guys in the game. You know, I mentioned Mike early. Um, if it wasn't for me getting lucky with, um, with him hiring me, there's no telling where I am right now, probably not even coaching. So I I can't express enough how important it is to study and to be ready. So when you do meet those people, um, being able to build that relationship and bring them value, um, but also it's, it's not being weird, you know, like you go to an ABCA conference and stuff and you see it all the time. Like you have your big school coaches and then um, the younger guys that want to talk to the older coaches, they, it's not, they're asking questions so they can tell the coach what they know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of guys don't like that. So it's always, it's when you go to those events and you meet those people, it's, it's about, bringing them value but it's not about trying to tell them what you know that that normally gets you written off from the start i think that's a very important one for young coaches is just at the end of the day like it comes down to being cool because you could know everything in the world but but if people don't like you then you're gonna have a hard time getting a job you know because you're you're in that locker room with those coaches day in and day out seeing those people as much if not more than you see your own family so that's that's so much of it too
0: yeah, that's a good point. Nobody likes to be around a, a know-it-all all the time, right? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, I uh, I hear that. That's but yeah, I I definitely I definitely hear what you're saying when it comes to being able to speak to to older coaches and experienced coaches. And I think the, the thing is, it's just and you alluded to it a little bit right there. People just want to be around good people. You know what I mean? And just talk mm-hmm. baseball. Um, you know. You anybody can sound smart in an interview. I think there's a lot of great, I think there's a lot of people out there who are really good at interviewing necessarily. Mm -hmm. Your real interview is like how you actually coach. You know what I mean? Not necessarily what you can say in in one one specific conversation about a piece of technology or breaking down a swing or whatnot, because it's so much deeper than that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really about developing players and helping win, helping your team win games so it's hard to show that off in, in one conversation at a convention
1: and it's and the thing is too like going back to building the relationships it's same thing with the players you know if, if you don't have that relationship built with them and you don't have that trust it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are you're not going to be able to get that information over to them And just, that's so important. Like you've got to, like I said, you got to be ready for when the time comes and when you can bring value, but you've got to also have that relationship first before you could even think about bringing value.
0: Definitely. Caleb, there's something I wanted to ask you because we got a lot, we're going to have a lot of high school kids and listening to this and even high school coaches, travel ball coaches, what would you say based on like what you've seen from the freshmen this year and last year, like what would be an ideal? And I know there's way more to hitting and everything we're talking about, but you know how people like objective information and they, they want to have some sort of measuring stick, which I understand. What would be like a an, an the average exit velocity that you've seen um, from from your time being at not just Texas, but Arizona State too to the best programs out there?
1: you know I, I don't I don't look at it a ton I, I get a post game sheet um, after games and it, it seems like um, all of our good hitters live over a hundred whenever they get a barrel um, and I know it's different for every guy I mean there's some homers hitting from 95 to 100 don't get me wrong but um, not that I've even studied it or anything like that but just seeing it anecdotally after a game um, most of those numbers are over a hundred and yeah, I think where a lot of people get that confused, too, is, you know, we'll have guys go 112 into a 6 3 too. So it's it's how can we uh, – that's – sometimes we we miss that part of it. Ah, he hit at 112, but it's two outs, you know. So um, how can we get our best swing off consistently um, and not necessarily chasing that number, but chasing what's going to play in a game and get us hits. Uh, back to the stat line, um, I think that's so important like guys need to be able to get hits seeing guys with some really pretty swings, but they just don't quite get hits in games, even in the summer ball or, um, or high school level. So being able to put up offensive numbers and be really good, um, in the games you're playing.
0: Mm, Good stuff. Caleb, is there anything else you want to add?
1: Um, let me think here. It's, uh, I don't know when this thing's going to be released, but got Black Friday coming up for Marv, so I know I'm <laughs> I'm going to be stressed out for the next five or six days over that with the sales and stuff. It's been we've had some uh, really good success with the products here lately. We've got a new pitching machine ball that a new pitching a machine tough. ball. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, I got the idea last spring. We had guys using the heater machine with the with the heater balls, um, trying to work on hitting that ride for pitchers that like to have that have the high IVB and like to live up in the zone.
0: When you say and heater machine, do you mean just hack attack?
1: No, there's a – it's – heater machine's the brand, and it's oh, like right. a, they've got their own dimpled balls. They're extremely light, and those things fly. And it's a, it's a really good look, but it's just – it was a little unrealistic. The ball was rising so much at the speeds yeah. the guys needed to see. So, it's – the new pitching machine ball is a foam ball that's in between that and then just a regular baseball. So you're still getting that good ride. Right. But it's not, uh, it's not unrealistic. It's, it's a very good IVB in a machine. Um, We use, we wear those things out. We, uh, one of my favorite drills, and this is, this is a good one too for all the high school coaches and everybody out there is you set the pitching machine up where when you're feeding the pitching machine balls to seam. You put that at the belt where it's the high strike you're working on. How guys can handle that, but it's high enough where if you feed it for seam, it's going to get a little bit more ride. It's going to come out a little bit hotter, and that's the ones you should lay off because a lot of guys work on getting on top on top of that pitch, but then in the game they're chasing because it doesn't matter what you're thinking, what your cue is, if if you know if you're facing 97 at the letters it's probably better to take that pitch for a ball than to try to get on top of it. Right now, the one at the belt, we can handle that one. Still a good pitch. We can learn what we need to think mentally to to hit that pitch. Right. Our, our own cues that are individual, these guys, um, but also laying off the one that's too high to hit. So that's been, that's how we use them the most. We use them with off speed a lot, but just setting that, two-seam fastball where it's at the belt and where you feed it four seam it's just above the letters it's a uh it's a great drill for the guys um we set our spin ball machine at 2300 spin i think if you set it at 85 it comes out at about 93 94 since the ball's a little bit lighter so it comes out a little bit hotter but you
0: can use those balls on any machine
1: Mm -hmm. we've used we've got spin ball hack attack um we use I do like you say It's a foam ball. It's a foam ball, so it's it's in between like the heater, the jugs, light flight that have that huge takeoff, and then a baseball. It's like a happy medium. And then a lot of people use them like with training bats and stuff like that too. But it's really good. Like a lot of pro organizations have bought a ton of them lately because you can really challenge guys. You don't know, have to worry about them hurting their hands or you know breaking wood bats or or all that. So those things have really taken off. Um, we just got a, we got new bands in recently um, braided bands, as opposed to just your traditional bands. And I get a lot of questions. what the different, What's the difference? What's all this? Resistance is fairly the same. It's just a little bit safer, you know, rather not that the other ones aren't safe. It's just, I know, anecdotally our guys at Texas, they'll leave them outside sometimes. And then, if they're if it's the braided ones and for some reason they were to break, they're not gonna be able they're not gonna snap and hit anybody because it's four bands right. braided together. You would just have three bands at that point. So it would take all four to snap and you'd have to basically cut it with a really good pair of scissors in order to get those things to snap. So just a little bit safer. Um and I think the I think the kids think they look cooler. So that's, that's big.
0: Half the battle right there, man.
1: Right, and of course... Uh, so where
0: where can they go to, to to check this out? Is it MarvTraining.com?
1: MarvTraining.com. Um, like I said, I don't know when this thing's getting released, but we'll have several different Black Friday deals, some bundle deals and stuff with the fly balls that everybody loves and the bands and some apparel and all that good stuff.
0: Awesome, dude. We'll be sure to get the link out, and um glad everything's going well. Uh, getting married soon, so congrats on that. I appreciate and- it. Good luck this upcoming season, dude. Are you going to be at ABCA this year?
1: I will. I'll okay, have a booth. I'll see you down there. Yeah, I'll have a booth, and we're going to do a big setup this year, and bring some products and some stuff that we're going to release in the future that we got samples of. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a good turnout this year.
0: Awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on,
1: Patrick. I really appreciate it. Thank you.